Well, church, it is time for a word from the Lord. Thank you so much again for tuning in. If you have not shared this service, go ahead and do that for me. We are in Mark chapter six today. Mark chapter six in the New Testament. We are excited to dig into the word. Listen, full disclosure, as you could probably tell by my tone of voice, how my face is drooping just a little bit, I am not feeling well at all, okay? I'm not feeling well. I think it's allergies, but my Lena and the kids have been sick uh, for the past couple of days, so we did not even get a chance to really do a birthday celebration right for her. So pray for your pastor, okay? Pray for me. There's nobody else here, so there's no risk of infection or anything. Um, I think it's just a cold, but pray for me. Stretch your hands toward me. Say, Lord, heal him. Intercede. <laughs> do it <laughs> in the name of Jesus because um, I am not feeling well. But the good news is that I will not be long, and I mean that. I will not be long unless I get a powerful surge of energy from the Holy Spirit, okay? Mark chapter 6 is our text, and we've been in a series, as you know, a sermon series entitled Godspeed, Divine Pace for Divine Purpose. Let me read Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says this, He, meaning Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Once again, church, we are talking about, in this Divine Pace for Divine Purpose, God's Speech series, Today we are talking about the shift. We're talking about the shift. Go ahead and put in the comments, the shift. Will you pray with me? God in heaven, we thank you for your word, that it is active, it is powerful, it is real. And God, I pray that the word is made clear today, that people's situations are spoken to, that we're challenged in order to be changed. We do not want to stay in the same place that we were before. God, we desire to do more and be more and become more because you are constantly taking us from faith to faith, glory to glory, from status to status, God, level to level. We thank you, God that you are not done with us yet. God, I pray that you would increase my strength, that I may preach this word clearly and accurately. God, there can't be a fire in anyone else's place if there's an iceberg behind this cyber pulpit. So God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your love, burn for your justice. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The shift. Now we've been in this series entitled Godspeed, divine pace for divine purpose. Go ahead and put Godspeed in the comments. Godspeed. And we've been talking about this from this premise that if you are a follower of Jesus, one of the first things that you have to learn how to do is change your pace. That God will have an expectation for you that will clash with your expectation for yourself that God will have a plan for you that will often contradict the plan that you have for yourself. And so the overarching premise is this, when we get there, wherever the destination is, is not as important as how we get there. When we get there in terms of timing, chronological, chronos, is not as important as how we get there in terms of our maturity, our transformation, what God has done on the inside of us. So our objective is this, we're teaching on this series so that we can fall in line with where God has us, not where we think we should be. 
We can fall in line and in love with where God has us, with being present in the moment, not just simply where we would desire and like to be. Why? Because Ecclesiastes 3.11 puts it like this. God has made everything beautiful or appropriate in its time. Aren't you glad that God has all of your times in God's hands? That God has everything that you need? That God is able to hold everything together? And God is even able to manage your journey. And this is why we want to move at God's speed. Now, last week we started talking about this in the context of the shift. We talked about divine acceleration. We talked about seasons of stuck. But we want to talk about the shift. And the shift is this. The shift is when God moves exactly opposite of how you thought he would. The shift is when God shifts or moves in a different way. When God alters the plan, when God speeds things up or slows things down or stops them, or when he moves you into a different plane, dare I say, a different dimension in the spirit. And how many of you know that we have to be attentive to this because God is always moving? As I said last week, all of us has at least one place in our lives where God is moving unexpectedly. There is always at least one place in our lives where God is moving unexpectedly. God is shifting in a way that we would not expect or intend or predict. So in other words, God will always show up, just not how you think. God is always going to show up, church, just not always how you think. And that's why we must prepare ourselves for the shift. Go ahead and put the shift in the comments again. The shift. Now, over the past couple of weeks, I've been watching a show that has become the most famous Netflix, the most popular Netflix series in the history of the streaming service. And that is a show entitled Squid Games. Squid Games. Now, I know what some of you are saying, Pastor, it's not called Squid Games, it's called Squid Game. But, but let, me tell you about, let me tell you about being black, okay? <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about what it means to be black, okay? When y'all say this, y'all are trying to get us to turn things and keep things singular, okay? Y'all always say, it's JCPenney, not JCPenney's. It's Belk, not Belk's, right? It's Sonic, not Sonic's. And I rebuke that because we're trying to add some plurality to this. Come on, somebody knows what I'm talking about. We're communal people, okay? So it's Squid Games because it's plural. It's JCPenney's because we need more than one. It's Sonic's because I'm, I'm <laughs> listen, I'm tired of y'all saying this. I'm tired of y'all policing our language. It's what we say it is, okay? Because that's the authority God gave us. It's Squid Games. And I've been watching this show called Squid Games. Who else has been watching this? Can you raise your hand if you've been watching Squid Games? Squid Games is an incredible show. Yes, it's called Squid Games. So if you look for it in plurality, Netflix may not recognize our, our declaration, whatever. We're going to still keep saying it in the spirit. Amen. So Squid Game is a Korean show. It's a, it's a show that was based and developed in Korea. And it is a tremendous drama. It follows the lives of a group of people who are in deep financial debt a deep financial debt that they cannot get out of themselves. And as a result of this, there are people in a faraway place who decide to recruit these, uh, those of, of them that have a deep financial debt that they cannot pay back to go and participate in the squid game, 
to go and participate in a series of games. And if you win these series of games and outlast everyone and get to the end of the six games, then you will win in the vicinity of $45 billion. You'll win more money than you could ever know what to do with. And then you'll be able to pay back your debts and you'll be able to live on the rest. There's just one catch. In these children's games that you're doing, whether it's red light, green light, or a tug of war, whatever it may be, if you fail to win or if you lose, you die. <laughs> so this is the catch. This is what makes the show so interesting, so twisted, and also so compelling. Now, it is a very violent and gory show, but the drama is often really, really compelling and tremendous as we think about what it means for people to desire to get out of a situation and go into a better one. What lengths would you take to change your situation? Even if it meant you had to sacrifice other people, even if it meant you had to sacrifice yourself, what lengths would you go to to achieve and accomplish? And there's one particular character, and I'm not gonna give anything away about what happens and um, who lives, who dies, I'm not giving anything away, but there's one particular character named Sang Woo. And Sang Woo is my favorite character because he is just so complicated. The main character is a, is, is a different person, it's not Sang Woo. But this main character looks at Sang Woo and everyone else looks at him as being the golden child of the city, as being the one who was the business prodigy, as being the one who got out early, as being the one who was able to go to a prestigious business college, as being the one who had all this sense, who had all this intelligence and wisdom. But yet, even though he had everything that people expected him to have, even though his life trajectory was a success, in reality, it wasn't what people thought because he's in the squid game. Even though they had an expectation that he was one thing, in reality, he was something different. Even though they thought he was a success, according to people, in reality, he was struggling just like everyone else. And it struck me because in Mark chapter six, and in really the entirety of Jesus's life and ministry, it strikes me that most people have an expectation of Jesus that is not rooted in reality. Most people think of Jesus to be something and to ultimately accomplish something or to be someone that they want, not in the reason and the reality that Jesus came to this earth. The Bible is very clear that Jesus came to the earth, Luke 19 says, to seek and to save those who are lost. Uh, Colossians 1 says that Jesus is on a reclamation project, not just for the individual soul, right? We realize this, that Jesus has come to save our souls. How many are glad you're saved? How many are glad you've been redeemed? How many are glad you've been delivered? How many are glad you've been set free, that you've been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light? And if you have not, it's just a prayer away that salvation is always available for those who desire to change. That is the only reason why we are here because Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. He came to die for the sins of the world. He came to redeem lost people. He came to draw the remnant unto himself. He came so that people could have hope and could have light and could have peace. And I'm thankful for that because if we didn't have that, we would be lost unto ourselves. But God is good enough to send Jesus 
in order to redeem us and save us and to deliver us. And that's a reason for us to put our hands together and thank God for salvation. May we never miss the mystery and the beauty and the simplicity of salvation. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost, but then he's also on a cosmic reclamation project in Colossians chapter one, where it says that Jesus is reconciling. Jesus is drawing things back. Jesus is resetting all things according to himself. Jesus is bringing things back into order. So if you look at the brokenness of the world and you get discouraged, if you look at the brokenness of your family or your soul, of your emotions or your mind, and you get discouraged, I have good news for you. Jesus is reconciling all things unto himself. Jesus is setting things back in motion. Jesus one day will wipe every tear from eyes. Jesus will one day correct all of the injustices that we see. Jesus will one day bring all of sickness and disease and curse it to the pit of hell itself. Jesus will make things right. But in the idea that Jesus is here for the individual and he's here also for the corporate, the individual, personal, and the cosmic reclamation project, the problem is the people in Jesus' day expected him to come and do something different. They expected him to come and redeem, but they expected him to come and redeem their way. According to certain prophecies that they would have read in Messianic times, the Messianic prophecies of Ezekiel chapter 37, many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious scribes would have expected him to come as the son of David, the conquering king, the conquering military hero, the conquering man who was going to vanquish the Roman oppressors. He was going to come in and set things right by overthrowing the Roman government and supplanting Caesar and putting them on top militarily and socially and politically. But the reality is Jesus didn't come for that purpose. One day, yes, the oppressor will be torn down. One day, yes, he will supplant and overthrow all of the false thrones and be crowned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But here's the reality. The reality is that was not his primary mission. And it wasn't just the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the religious leaders who thought this of Jesus, it was also his own disciples. Peter says in Acts chapter one, he looks at Jesus after Jesus had risen from the dead. And this is what he says, Acts one six, now are you going to establish the kingdom? Now are you going to vanquish our military enemies? Now are you going to fulfill our expectations? Now are you going to give us what we need? Isn't it so interesting that oftentimes we approach Jesus not asking what is God's will and desire for our lives, but what can Jesus meet that we really think we need most? <laughs> Many of us approach Jesus and what we desire to do is get Jesus to meet our needs our way. And it's not to say that our desires are bad. And it's not to say that we can't ask for the things that we believe that we need. But we also have to understand that sometimes God has a different vantage point and desires to shift our expectations beyond what we thought they could be and beyond our limited wants and our limited view and our limited perspective. And many times Jesus comes in and moves and shifts in a way that we did not expect and it bothers us. It bothers us because God, I thought you were going to answer the prayer that I prayed. God, I thought you were going to meet the need that I told you I had. But sometimes 
God knows that we have a deeper need than even what we can perceive. Are you hearing me, church? Are you hearing me today? Are you like me guilty of this, that sometimes we come to God and we tell God, this is how I want it to be. This is what I really need. And we don't consult the one who created and crafted our being to say, what do I need to be all that you have called me to be? Is it just me? Is it just me that we think we know better than the great cosmic reconciler? That we know better than the one who is going to draw all things unto himself? That we know better than the Alpha and the Omega? Isn't it interesting that even the people who were closest to him thought that Jesus would move and act in a certain way. So, so here's the word. Here's what we need to shift first. Before we shift position and mindset, here's what we need to do. We need to shift and reset our expectations for the messenger. We need to reset our expectations of who is going to bring God's truth. Now, I know what you're automatically thinking. What you're automatically thinking when you think about the messenger is you're thinking about it from the context of pastor. You're thinking about it from the context of leader. You're thinking about it from the context of prophet. You're thinking about it from the context of the person who was ordained to lead the people of God and share the oracles of God. But can I shift your expectation? I am not just simply talking about the people who are above you in spiritual or natural or political authority, though it may be applicable to them. Here's what I think is so important for us, church. And again, this is going to require a shift. It's going to require an expansion. We must think about the reality that God is going to use more people than just our pastors and our politicians and our great leaders to speak truth to us. God is often going to use certain people that you would not expect to push you into God's speed for your divine purpose. God is often going to use people that you would never imagine to speak truth. So I'm not just simply talking about the one who is saying the big T truth on Sunday morning or the one who is making all the big decisions in a leadership or spiritual context. I'm talking about anyone who bears truth and God puts in your path to speak that truth to you. You have to reset your expectations of the person God uses to speak to you. You have to reset the expectations and the assumption that you have that God is going to use a certain type of person for a certain type of thing for you. Because again, you think you know what is best for you. I think I know what is best for me, but ultimately God is going to use unconventional people. And it is sad that the people of God who know full well that we are all unconventional, that we are all unlikely, that we all must recognize that without the grace and the mercy of God, that we shouldn't be in line to speak anything to anybody. It is sad that the people of God can miss the fact that God is going to use unconventional people. So here's the key statement. Who God uses is very rarely who man chooses. Who God uses is very rarely who man chooses. You don't think this can apply to Christians, do you? You don't think this can apply to people of God. Let's bring in the prophet Samuel, the prophet. And when he saw Jesse's first son, what did the prophet say? Surely this is the Lord's anointed. 
because he looks strong and tall. And then the second born and the third born and the fourth born and the fifth born. Surely this is God's anointing. Surely this is the person whom God will use because we have an expectation. God, you're going to move through might. You're going to speak through power. You're going to speak through privilege. You're going to speak through the one who is on top, through the one who has a whole bunch of money, through the one who is likely, because that's going to make you look good. Can I help you? God is not concerned with looking good. God is concerned with changing and transforming the contents of your heart so that you can be everything that God desires for you to be. And get this, God will use anyone to speak that truth to you. God will use anyone to subvert and shift the expectations of what you thought God was doing. And I'm here to ask you a question, church. Are you open to God shifting your expectations for who can speak to you? Are you open to God shifting all the expectations of who is worthy to tell you what God said to do? I I fear, church, that we live in such a refined time in the American church that we only like our pure, polished, powerful voices. We only like the people who are coming with a certain aura. We only like the people with titles in front of their names and degrees after them. We only like the certain people who are going to make God look good and who we look at and say, I want to be like that person. Ooh, that person has a word. That person is powerful. That person is anointed. That person has oil. But might I submit to you that God wants to speak to you through some unconventional channels and through some unlikely people. Can you lift your hands right now and say, God, speak to me through whoever you want me to listen to. Speak to me through whoever you want me to listen to. Anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they come from. If they speak on behalf of you, I want to be all ears. The Pharisees couldn't understand this. Mark chapter 6, verse 1, it, it makes it very clear. It says, that after he came to his hometown, this is very interesting, he came to Nazareth. Even his own disciples had prejudged him based upon his locale. Nazareth was not the, 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 the palatial place. It was not the suburb. Nazareth was the hood. And so they asked the question, can anything good even come from there? His disciples followed him to this place. And on the Sabbath, it says in verse 2, he began to teach in the synagogues. Now, what we know is that in Luke chapter 4, it tells us that preaching and teaching in the synagogue was Jesus's custom. It was something that he was used to and accustomed to doing. And the people, once he had spoken, verse 2 says, who heard him, many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get such things? And what is the wisdom given to him? How were such mighty works done by his hands? Can I, can I tell you the first thing that you have to remember? First thing you have to remember, when you talk about shifting your expectations for who God can speak to you, first thing, catch this, your proximity to God does not give you clearance to determine God's messengers. Your proximity to God does not give you the clearance or the authority to determine God's messengers. The Pharisees thought that because they were so familiar with the words of God, that they could interpret the movement of God. The Pharisees thought that because they were so holy, righteous, and well put together, 
because they had never sinned according to them. Or if they had, they had repented for it and done so many good deeds that it didn't really matter. The rabbis assumed that based upon that, that they could clear who God was going to use. Can I tell you, they were under a faulty misconception. They thought that they could determine and detect who God was going to use. You shouldn't see this so much. Maybe our, our idea of this would shift. If we didn't see this so much as an external venting, when they said, where does this power come from? Not as a venting among themselves, but see it, catch this, as a complaint to God. Why is he the one? Oh, come on, God. Now, hold up. Now, we've been serving you for how long? How are all these mighty works coming? What? Power flowing through him to heal the sick? Oh, oh. Spines are aligning? Broken bones are coming back together? Oh, what, what are you talking about? Leprosy is being cured? And he's, he's ill with the text too? And he's breaking down? Oh, and he's flexing on us? And he's giving us commentaries we didn't even consider? And he's asking us questions that, oh no, we've been serving God too long for this. Let me, let me help you with this. We can understand that God can use everyone in theory but it's hard for us to imagine that God would use someone who is not as close to God as we are. We can understand, oh, God can use anybody. We'll say that and not mean it. But it's hard for us to understand that God's power is flowing through someone who isn't as proximate to God in our perception as we are. I've been serving you for 20 plus years. I've been serving you for 40 years and I got ordained. Pastor Burns laid hands on me. Come on now. And now you're telling me this person that just got saved and, and they Facebook was ratchet just two years ago. How is that person speak? What? You know what they did? We used to talk about them in college. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm proximate. I know all the theological words. I know even a little Greek and Hebrew. I'm dangerous with the text. Come on now, hold on, hold on. Wait a second, God. So you're telling me that you're going to use someone else who's not as proximate to you as I am? See, the Pharisees thought that because they, they knew the Torah and because they understood the Talmud and because they kept the 613 commandments of the Mishnah, they thought that because they kept the Torah and the Mishnah from birth, that that gave them special access to God. But can I tell you something, church? God is going to use people in this season that do not seem as proximate to God as you are or as people who have been used in the past, but it's not that they're less proximate to God. It's that they have a heart that is pure and submitted to God. And even if they don't have everything that you have, doesn't mean God didn't send them. Even though they might not have the titles and the accolades and they might not have the power and they might not have the giftings and they might not have the seasoning or the polish that we used to have. God is going to use some people who are going to confound the enemy. God is going to use some people who are going to confound the world because they look foolish. But in the end, they're going to confound the wise. I'm sorry. Let me stop clapping so much. I feel this. We're prejudging people based upon their proximity to God. How do you know how close they are to God? How do you know what God called them to do? How do you know 
what their purpose is. Church, we got to shift. Come on, somebody type shift. We have to shift our expectations for who God is going to use. And just because it looks like they're not as proximate to God as you are, they don't have the, the spiritual righteous resume that you do, that we do, doesn't mean God isn't going to use them. Can you shift your expectations for the messengers? Can you shift the expectations for the ones whom God is going to use in this season? Not only this, we see that the Pharisees keep going. The Pharisees then question not just a complaint to God. God, hold up. How you going to use him? He didn't find the right place. Now, catch this. Then they question his lineage. <laughs> Verse 3. Is this not the carpenter? Come on, man. The guy with the the guy with the hammer and the nails? This the dude? The son of Mary? The one who had him out of wetlock? The one whom Joseph stayed with and still had kids with after? I don't know what Joseph was thinking. Oh, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? His sisters on our side. Catch this. And they took offense at him. Not at the message that he came to proclaim. At him, the person. They took offense at the messenger. In other words, they were trying to use their hierarchy socially to prove that it was an indignity that God would dare to use someone like him or that he would claim to come and have some sort of power to speak and to transform lives. Can I give you another key here? It's not just your proximity to God. It don't matter. Your power over someone does not mean God will not use them to speak to you. Your power in hierarchy over someone does not mean God will not use them to speak to you. It is one of the greatest misnomers in the body of Christ that God can only speak through the pastor or the prophet because they got hierarchy. They got power. Can I tell you, I, I, I respect and honor what God has placed on my life, the oil and the anointing that I believe is on myself and Pastor Marlena. I honor it. I do not despise it. I take it very seriously. But I am not the only one that can speak truth to you. If I am the only one that can speak truth to you, if I am the only one that can give you a prophetic word, if I am the only one that can shift you to make a realization that you might need to repent, we got a problem. That is pastoral idolatry. I am not an idol. I am a servant. I am an individual servant who has come in humility to ensure that the word gets preached and your soul is taken care of. I am not your God. And the problem is many of us have placed pastors and spiritual leaders on pedestals based upon their hierarchy, based upon what we perceive them to be, based upon how connected they are to the oil and the anointing of God. And when they don't do what we expect for them to do, what happens? We get disappointed and question God, and they get crushed because of the false expectations that they received from you. 
And so I'm here to tell you, God is going to speak to you through it. Can, can I be honest with you? Can, can I take it the way you live? For some of us, and this is dangerous, but it's the truth. For some of us, the word of God that we are looking for is not going to come through our pastor. It's going to come through our children. <laughs> Amen, lights and walls. Amen, AC. The word of God that we are looking for is not going to come through a pastor or a spiritual leader. It's going to come through someone who is subordinate to us. And maybe why we can't hear God is because we come to God begging for a word, despising the word of the people who are less than us because we used to have power over them. No. Any person who I've ever pastored, who I've ever led, who I've ever helped to disciple, if you got a word for me, I am all ears. Because I am not going to let a faulty power dynamic, which doesn't come from the kingdom of God, which comes from the conception and constructs of man, prevent me from listening to the word of God coming out of a voice I don't expect to hear it from. I don't have any power over you. And too many of us have exercised power over people. We become drunk off it and then our ears are mute when God speaks through them. Oh, hold up, Eli, come on now. There ain't no way Samuel gonna have a word for you. Come on now, boy, go to sleep. That ain't... Eli's like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. Okay, next time, say, speak, Lord, for your servant ears. Oh, whoa, 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 ho hold up. Next time, say, I'm here. Because God might be speaking through you. And just because I can't hear God no more, doesn't mean that God's not gonna use you to tell me something about myself. Is there anybody that's saying, even if it's from the kids, even if it's from the babies, even if it's from the generations and the people who come after us, even if it's from the people who are on the margins of society, well, you know, God ain't gonna use women to speak. Come on, man, come on, Doc. Come on, now, you know, you know I mean, you know, they'll do that thing with the women. Oh, really? Oh, God is not going to use the people who are in the big house. God is not going to use the people who are driving the fancy cars. God is not going to use the people who are not men. You kidding me? You don't think God is going to pour out his, his spirit upon sons and daughters? That's what, my, that's what Joe 2 told me. That's what Acts 2 told me. Let me... <laughs> But because society says we're better and we exercise power, I shouldn't even be going, look, am I, I'm taking too long. Look, when, when the Black Lives Matter movement came out, and I hate to take it here, but just listen to me. When the Black Lives Matter movement came out, here's what people were saying. Man, ain't no way, man. We got to do something. To, I mean, these people, I mean, come on, man. You know, they talking about this, they talking about that. But because the church had been silent for so long, and because the church had not listened to God's voice when it comes to equity, and when it comes to justice, and treating people right, and loving your neighbor as yourself, God says, okay, now I'm going to allow someone else who's not even in the four walls of the church to stand up and to speak truth to you because you won't hear it from me.
Let me, let me move on. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> let me move. Okay. It's the meds. Okay. Blame it on the meds. I'll clean it up. I'll get the emails. I'll clean it up later. Finally, your perspective of someone, not just your proximity to God, your power over someone, catch this, your perspective of someone does not mean God has disqualified them. The Pharisees had a perspective of Jesus that was rooted in external factors and also external pride and ego. They said he's from this place. They said he got this mama. They said he's got this family. They said he's this. They said he's that. They said he's this. And he was challenging them. So in other words, he was an enemy. Catch this. Sometimes God will use the people you consider to be enemies to speak truth to you. My friend, who's a, who's a public theologian, her name is Akemeni Uwan. She just recently posted something about this. She said, we need to be more careful about listening to the truth that our enemies may speak. Because even a broken clock is right twice a day. Even a broken and a flawed person is still going to have a nugget and a kernel of truth for us. It doesn't mean that everything they say is invalidated. And catch this, some of the people who we consider to be enemies, God doesn't think they're enemies to him. He loves them. He cherishes them. We just have a problem with them for whatever reason. And church, I'm here to tell you that for some of us, we need to change our perspective of people. We need to change the perspective that we have that this person isn't good enough to speak to me. This person harmed me. This person talked about me. That person said it. That person did it. But I'm posturing myself in this season to say that even God, even the people who I would consider to be enemies, who I've tried to pray for, and I've had to grip my teeth while I'm praying for them. Maybe these are the people that God has called for me to listen to in this season. And if the Pharisees had not seen Jesus as enemy, but as messenger, maybe they would have been saved. Maybe they would have been transformed. Maybe they would not have crucified him. And church, we have to be careful. I'm done. We got to be careful. I feel this so strongly because, hear me, the next iteration of this church and this work, the people whom God will use will not be the expected. The people whom God will use will be the unexpected. And I speak prophetically to us to remember that just because people do not have what, what we think they should have, in the time frame we think they should have it. And just because they look and act and talk a certain way, just because we think we know who's gonna make us look good, may God break our expectations. May God shift our thoughts and our mindsets away from thinking that we can control and clear whom God is going to use as his messenger. May it not be said amongst us, that we silence the people God was using to speak. If you want to go at God's speed, sometimes God is going to use unconventional messengers.
And the Pharisees couldn't see Jesus as conventional enough. And so they left. They said, forget him. Move away from him. But God called him. He was God in the flesh. He had a mission. May it not be said of us that we kill God's messengers. <laughs> May it not be said. Lift your hands. I've made a mess. Praise God. <laughs> Lift your hands. God in heaven, we thank you that you have called the unlikely. I hope we would realize that we are the ones who are unlikely. I hope we would realize that we are the unconventional ones, that there is no one who can stand before God and say, you should use me. What a shame. What an arrogance that we would have if that's the case. But God, I pray that we would, we would submit our hearts, our minds to the reality of your word, to the reality of your presence, to the reality of the fact that you have, since the beginning of time, used people who are unconventional and unexpected, and you have used them as your messengers. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are still using us. And may we be open to the people whom you are using. May we not kill God's messengers, but may we speak the truth. And may we hear those who do as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Listen, direct your emails to Gregory Burns. <laughs> I love you so much, church. Once again, if you missed it, we are still on the move. If you are a leader on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m., we are having leadership meetings for the foreseeable future. Listen, DM us to get the address. DM us. Reach out to us to get this address. Or you can just call me, call one of the leaders. And we, we want you to be in the place this Tuesday because it is powerful. We're having so much unity, so much great discussion, so much great planning. We want you to be a part of it. Also, we had a great virtual interest meeting last week. We are going to have an in-person interest meeting on uh, Wednesday, October 27th at 7 p.m. Wednesday, October 27th at 7 p.m. You must be in the building. You must be in the building. Registration will go live this Wednesday for that. I love you so much, church. If you didn't have the chance to give, you can click the pinned comment or you can also click the description below. That is on Facebook and on YouTube. And you can mail it in P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. That's P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. I love you, church. Pray for me. Blame it on the meds. But God was speaking. Amen. I love you. We'll see you next week.